Hey, Goal Achievers, welcome to the Elite Achievement Community. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach here to demystify the goal achievement process. If you are ambitious and visionary, then let's get to work so you can maximize your potential and achieve your definition of success. Hey, Goal Achievers, in August, we celebrate Elite Achievement's second anniversary which is really cool. I cannot believe I've been hosting a podcast for two years. When I started my business, I knew I wanted to host a podcast to make an impact and give back. I remember listening to podcasts when I was thinking about starting my business and borrowed a ton of confidence and courage from other hosts. It's my hope that over the past two years, you've been inspired by guest interviews, learned more about the goal achievement process, and maybe even borrowed some confidence and courage to achieve your own goals. As I prepare for this episode, I read my notes from Elite Achievement's first anniversary episode. I was reminded of the limiting beliefs I had to work through to start this podcast. Sometimes we forget just how far we've come. The biggest hurdle I had to overcome was the belief that there are already so many podcasts out there So why should I even bother to start one? Now with over 50 episodes of perspective, I'm so glad I didn't buy into this belief. We all have to start somewhere. And because I started, I've been able to grow as a host, met some incredible business owners through guest interviews, and became a better coach for my clients because I learn a ton from the guest interviews. If you are hesitating to take an action towards one of your goals because you fear it's already been done, so why bother? Just remember, it hasn't been done by you yet. I heard that phrase, it hasn't been done by you yet, at the exact time I needed it most. So I wanted to share it with you all here today. I believe we all have unique experiences and perspectives that shape our opinions and thoughts and will bring those experiences and perspectives to whatever it is that we do. I also feared no one would listen to my podcast. And then I realized if I actually let this belief, what if no one listens, guide me, I will create the very situation I am afraid of. No one will listen to a podcast that I never started. And I'm very happy to share that this fear never came true Thankfully, there are people who listen to this podcast all throughout the world, and I am incredibly grateful for those of you that subscribe and listen on a regular basis. I wanted to share these limiting beliefs because I want you to know that I struggle with them too. It's not that goal achievers don't have limiting beliefs. They do, and they also do the mindset work to be able to work through their limiting beliefs so they can take action. You can choose to believe you are limiting beliefs, or you can choose to question their validity. Questioning is so powerful because you start to understand what is true about your limiting belief and what are you making up in your mind. Questioning the validity of your limiting beliefs is also giving you the opportunity to rewrite any negative beliefs or negative mental narratives that might not be serving you well. And being able to rewrite negative mental narratives and developing an achievement mindset 
are critical for goal achievement. Throughout this past year of podcasting, I have been inspired by several guests who think really, really big and have even been surprised to learn that people who have achieved significant levels of business success continue to prioritize working on their mindsets. To celebrate this anniversary podcast milestone, I am highlighting a few episodes from the second year to help you strengthen your goal achievement mindset. Last year, I read the book Go Big Now by Julia Pimsler. I highly recommend the book. And after reading the book, I courageously sent Julia a LinkedIn connection request. I remember feeling both shocked and excited when she accepted my request. Because of that, I had an opportunity to connect with Julia, who is a scaling coach, best-selling author, mindset expert, and founder of the Million Dollar Women community. Listen as we discuss the importance of mindset. Would you say that that's the first step an entrepreneur can take to scale his or her business is to start looking at the products and services and assess what is or is not scalable? That's definitely the second step. The first step is to get the go big mindset. Mm. <laughs> Had to make you laugh there. You knew I was going to say that. I, um, I should have known that after reading the book. And <laughs> you saw that coming, Kristen. Did, Thanks for the setup. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, what's interesting, and now that I've coached thousands of women entrepreneurs, is that you can't just start teaching someone business skills without mm. first addressing the mindset. Because if you take someone who was raised thinking, oh, if I promote myself, that's being pushy or for women, sometimes we're even taught that's not feminine, like it's unladylike or whatever to promote yourself. So that's going to get in your way of growing your business. If you grew up in a home where uh, your family maybe didn't have a lot of money, but there was someone in the family who did have a lot of money, but every time her name came up or his name came up, it was like, oh yeah, you know, Uncle Bob, he's such a jerk. You know, he's super rich and we don't like him and da da da. And there's all these negative associations with money. Well, what's going to happen when you start thinking about growing a big, successful money making business? You don't want to be Uncle Bob, right? Unconsciously, you've got a block there. Or maybe you've got a competing commitment, which is a mindset term we can unpack later around something else you're committed to that's actually more important to you than growing your business but it's unconscious. And therefore, you're not making the sales and you're not putting yourself out there and you're not fixing your website and not doing the thing you know you need to do. So that's what we have to address first. Do you have the go big mindset? Where are your blocks? And how do we move them aside? And it's interesting, Kristen, because you'd think, well, okay, so some people must struggle with that, but others must not. And I haven't said this before, but I'll say it here now for the first time. If you don't have what you want, if you haven't already gotten your business to the place you want it to be from a revenue standpoint, then you have blocks. It's not you might, then you do. Because if you didn't, you would have it already. Everything we have in our life that we like and we're proud of and it's going well, it's because we didn't have blocks around those things. So we pursued them with gusto and we got over roadblocks and we did whatever we needed to do. And now we have those things and whatever we don't have it's our work to do that mindset work and then go get the skills. Well, you heard it here first, Elite Achievement listeners. Julia said, if you don't have what you want, 
then you have blocks. And it makes so much sense. We have visions, we have dreams, we have goals. And if we haven't gotten there, we got to do the work to figure out what's blocking us. Exactly. And, and not think, well, in my case, I just need the skills. That's the temptation, right? Oh, I don't have to do mindset work. I always like to say you can only grow your business as big as you can grow yourself. Because if you have the dream of a $5 million business, but you have a mindset that, oh, well, if I put myself out there too much, people are going to hate me or my kids aren't going to love me anymore or I don't know, my husband's going to leave me or whatever these blocks are, you're not going to get there. You mentioned earlier that you had mentors and coaches as you were growing and building Little Pim. What were some of the things you did specifically to grow yourself? Well, I did mindset work for sure, but I also surrounded myself with people who had gotten to where I wanted to be because they think differently, they act differently, they dream differently. Their dreams are bigger dreams. When I had a $400,000 business, to hang around with someone who had a $2 million business was really exciting because they were dreaming of a $10 million business. And so that really helped to broaden my thinking. Also reading the books they recommended because they had become who they were by reading those books. So I was a voracious business book reader, still am. Joining programs where I could meet other high achieving entrepreneurs. I joined uh, an organization here in New York that helped me get to 1 million. And then I stayed in it for several years and ultimately left to build million dollar women, my own community. But I loved having other entrepreneurs who I could be on the journey with because Most people don't understand the entrepreneurial life except for entrepreneurs. So while you don't have to ditch your friends in corporate America, you should definitely find an intentional community of people who really get what you're going through and can help you navigate the tough times and celebrate the good times. What are some of the other mindset strategies that you talk about in Go Big Now that can help entrepreneurs develop their mindset and build big businesses? Well, I think doing mindset work of any kind is essential when you're an entrepreneur because you really can't manage a company and a team if you can't manage yourself. That's the first person. You have to learn how to manage your emotions, your fears, your negative self-talk, identifying limiting beliefs and not letting them take over and stop you from doing the big, amazing work you're meant to do in the world. So I would say the number one thing is to get some mindset training. I wrote Go Big Now because I didn't see one book that would allow you to access what I thought was the best of all of the mindset practices out there. I've been studying mindset for 15 years and I'm a trained NLP coach, neuro-linguistic programming. So after going through all these workshops and working with so many masters, I realized, oh, they're all kind of teaching the same thing. How could we bring that to people in a way where they don't have to spend hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars like I did? And so I reduced it down to just eight essential practices. And that's what's in Go Big Now. And these eight principles, if you just adopt these eight, you will have the Go Big mindset. Now, you're not going to read, close the book and suddenly make a million dollars. It doesn't work that way. But you will, like Kristen did, be able to use these terms like competing commitment. And when you see it pop up, rather than getting stuck for three months or three years there, you can just go, oh, whoa, I'm having a competing commitment. And there's an exercise in the book to work through it. You could go back to the book. And sometimes even just naming it is enough. When you say, oh, wait a minute, this is just a limiting belief. This isn't real. This is a limitation I've put on myself and let me figure out how I can get rid of it as soon as possible because it's not serving me. 
I'll give an example of one of my limiting beliefs that was a game changer when I was running Little Pim and I realized I needed to raise money for the business because we were competing with Disney and Fisher Price and we had to have those big marketing budgets. I thought about raising money and someone suggested I raise money, but I was immediately so terrified at the notion because I I didn't have a finance background, like I said, and I wasn't particularly comfortable with the numbers side of my business, even though we were doing really well. I loved the marketing and the content creation. And no one in my family was in the banking world. My parents were professors. So I really had no model of what it would look like to go into rooms of hundreds of venture capitalists and pitch my business. I also read that only 2% of venture capital gets invested in women-run businesses. So that made it seem even harder. And I just thought, well, I don't speak their language. They don't speak my language. I could see what they were talking about in those rooms just from doing a little research. It was like, what's the valuation? What kind of liquidation preference do I get? Is there going to be a discount? It's a whole other vocabulary, fundraising. So I decided, no, I can't do that. And it was a limiting belief because it limited my ability to go raise capital. And it wasn't true, but it was a very firmly held belief. And it took me many weeks to figure out that I had to get out of my comfort zone and bust through this limiting belief if I wanted what was on the other side. And that was very, very hard to do, but I did it and then reaped those rewards. And that's one of the things I love helping people do now is bust through their own limiting beliefs. Because often what's a huge roadblock for you, someone else, a friend, a therapist, a mentor might look at you and say, but of course you can do that. And it can be this really aha moment of, oh, I'm limiting myself. (laughs) Why don't I stop doing that? And then there is, of course, a method to doing it, a four-step method that I teach in the book. It's so helpful to hear someone who has built, scaled, sold companies and now building a community and coaching women to get to seven figures also is continuing to do mindset work. I think sometimes we believe if we do it a little bit, we're done and we can move on. But it sounds like it's continual. It is. And I learned that from a lot of the mentors and coaches I admired. I was surprised at how much they talked about their mindset practices. It was very freeing, actually. I I spent, I don't know, $15,000 on some course I took with the guru. And half the class, he was talking about his mindset practices. So it was a good reminder to me, this is not once and done work. This is forever work. Um, If anyone's ever been to a Tony Robbins conference, I've been to a number of those. That's one of the reasons I learned NLP. That's what he was trained in. That's really like the well that a lot of uh, self-help and motivational leaders draw from is NLP. So I thought, well, I've drunk from the Tony Robbins water fountain. Now let me go to the well where he got the water. Um, And it was very enlightening to see what they teach in NLP. And and a lot of it is that you have to turn these things into lifelong practice. And Tony Robbins, who has a, I don't know, $5 billion empire, still gets up every day and does all these mindset practices because that's how you stay at the top of your game. Julia shared that the first step to scaling a business is to get the go big mindset. And if you don't have what you want, if you haven't already gotten your business to the place you want it to be, then you have blocks. Biette Chalette was $135,000 in debt, and she was able to sell her business to Bill Gates in a multi-million dollar deal. Biete is the growth architect and founder of The Women's Code, a strategic business and balanced leadership development company. She's been named one of the 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs by HuffPost, 
and is also the author of the number one international award-winning Amazon bestseller, Happy Woman, Happy World, How to Go from Overwhelmed to Awesome. Listen as Biette discusses the significance of making quantum leaps in business, how to overcome mindset barriers, fear of success, and rubber band thinking. I think most of it is that most entrepreneurs are thinking that doing a, a incremental growth plan is the sensible thing to do. When we are building a business, the idea is not incremental growth. The idea is quantum leaps. So much more fun. When I sold my business, that was a quantum leap. That's like, how do you get from a revenue of a million dollars to having a multi-million dollar payday? That's a quantum leap, a massive quantum leap. A quantum leap was how do I get from $135,000 in debt to break even in three months? That's a quantum leap. Because most people would say, well, I have $135,000 in debt. You know, this is going to be 10-year fixed loans. I'm going to have to make an extra $1,000 a month. So in order to make an extra $1,000 a month, I'm going to have to sell four more things like that at $2,000. You know, so you calculate. That's not how entrepreneurship really works. So if your listeners are in this, well, 10% this year, maybe I'll stretch it to 12% next year. Just stop it. Just stop it. That's not what we do. We are, we are looking in the future of our vision and then we reverse engineer the vision to the best of our abilities. But you don't have the answers of what it takes to have a quantum leap or to stretch yourself beyond what you're capable of because it's outside of your thought process. But if I say, is the thought to make a million dollars any more difficult than the thought to make $5 million, what would you say? Yes, $5 million is more difficult than a million. But why? It's the same thought. It's a bigger number, which is probably what you had mentioned earlier, the middle class thinking, the way that you're taught, how you grow up, keep safe, get A's. Yeah. It's undoing a lot of that learning. Right. So if I say... I'm going to buy a Prius, I'm going to buy a Bentley. Why is the thought that I'm going to buy a Bentley any more difficult than the thought I'm going to buy a Prius? I'm going to buy a car. More zeros. Right. But that is the limitation that entrepreneurs often have, that they believe that entrepreneurship is about being realistic. Entrepreneurship has nothing to do with being realistic. Entrepreneurship is insane by its definition. <laughs> <laughs> So how do entrepreneurs ditch the realistic thinking? You have to overcome your mindset barriers and you have to be very aware of that. So I do a lot of mindset work. I mean, daily. So I listen to a podcast about mindset. I constantly remind myself that my mother's conservative viewpoints of the world are not my own. And that what my brother father, relative, achieved or didn't achieve has nothing to do with what I can achieve. I look at consciously around focusing on people that I admire and wanting to achieve that versus looking at who's around me who's trying to keep me where I'm at. Because I think the biggest fear is if I'm the biggest earner in my family, and hands down I am, nobody sold a business to Bill Gates in my family. 
So I'm going to be up against being more than they are. And because I am more in relationship to them, it makes them feel bad. So their job is not to empower me. Their job is to take me down because then they don't feel so bad about what they didn't do. Because if I did it and I'm from the same family, then why did they not do it? That doesn't make them feel good. You're leading somewhere that is really important for a lot of our listeners. It's that difference between fear of success and fear of failure. And fear of failure is often a bit more obvious. We we don't want shame. We don't want to look foolish. But fear of success is an important um, discussion point. And I the way you just described it makes it clear in my mind on what fear of success actually is. Fear of success is isolation from those uh, you've been always around, from your security and safety network, mm-hmm. uh, from people telling you that you think you're oh so much better, which they will tell you. People who brought you here are not going to get you there. I can tell you that right now. There's a very hard line. I was uh, just speaking to my group yesterday, and we were talking about And there's one particular person and she says, well, you know, I don't understand why this person has quit. And I said, congratulations, you've just identified who's not going to get you there. Even though it doesn't feel like it. I said, you're now at a crossroads. You have to make a very important decision. Are you going to revert back into that fear-based piece that you worked so hard to overcome? Because that's what's happening right now. The rubber band's snapping back. Something happened and now you're reverting back mentally to the safety and security thinking. And now you think that the person that left needs to be replaced with somebody who is equally inexpensive instead of saying, what am I learning? And how much is it costing me to not have a highly qualified person in that position that's going to cost me way more than I've ever paid for anyone? But that is the growth opportunity. I said, so you see how your mind is completely screwing this up for you because your mind is telling, find somebody who's less than $20 an hour and give them a commission and then Hope that you're going to find somebody really amazing. So I took a calculator. We went through the numbers. I said, somebody who's making $19 an hour is making $3,000 a month. We're in Los Angeles. You can't live off $3,000. And then you give them a small percentage. And so that percentage on the item that you're selling, that in order for them to make serious money, they would have to move 40 units of that. And it's a high ticket item. I said, that's just numbers wise, not even possible. I said, so this person that you're hiring, you're hiring already with the intent that the minute they find something better than this, they will leave because there's nowhere to go. That's the challenge as a business owner. This is the realistic thinking about, well, if I declare that I want to get to $2 million, are the people that got me to 500000 the right people that are going to get me to $2 million? And they might not be. You mentioned rubber band thinking, and that gets my mind turning. Sometimes clients will share with me, I had my best year ever last year, but they have this fear that they can't do it again. Is that rubber band thinking where they stretch really big to grow, they hit this awesome goal, and then they get a a reversal or a client says no in January, and now all of a sudden they're shrinking back in and going to that safety space. It is rubber band thinking, yeah. So the way I describe it, the original program runs all the time, right? That's your dad, your mom. They put that in before you were seven. We know this from human psychology. So we're running around with all the stuff that everybody else told us. 
Then we do a lot of self-improvement work, coaches, consultants, we read books, we go like, well, I don't really want that. But under that, that old program runs all the time. The old program is like a USB port that's like plugged in on one side of your head, and that runs all the time. You cannot take it out. It cannot be taken out. It's the original operating system. Now you take a bunch of new ports and you plug them in. You're like, let me try this one. So that runs for a little while. Then you go, eh, you take it out. The old program immediately takes over. Now you take a new USB port and you plug that and you say, maybe that one's better. And then you plug it out after a while. And then that old program runs again. You go like, these programs just don't work for me. Well, I tell you why they don't work for you. Because you take the darn thing out. So change only works if you consistently run the new program every single day until the new program has taken hold so significantly that the old program just kind of runs in the background. You're just aware of it. And the minute, you know, there's a system error, you know exactly what to do. You know what to run. And so on the rubber band idea is, it's exactly the same idea. You stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. And then something happens and you take the pressure off. It goes right back to its original state. Biete reminded us that we all have our original programming running through our minds all of the time. And one of my coaching clients, Nisu Patel, who is the second youngest financial advisor to achieve Northwestern Mutual's esteemed forum status and the youngest within his home state of Alabama, shares his journey of developing an abundant mindset despite growing up in a family with a scarcity mindset. Listen as Nisu describes abundant thinking, how belief helped him become one of the top 2% of financial advisors in his company, and how to stay connected to a plan during difficult times. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned growing up in helping your family and the small businesses? Um, there were a lot of lessons I took away. There were some lessons that I wanted to replicate that I had seen, but then there were also lessons that I observed that I wanted to make sure I avoided as well. As I reflect back, I saw my family had kind of a scarcity mindset because they were in a completely new environment. Um, there was a lot of unknown. They were the type of people that um, invested heavily in their businesses, were always at their businesses, were trying to minimize expenses and trying to accelerate their growth path. Um, so there were a lot of great lessons on both sides of things that I wanted to replicate and also things that I wanted to avoid. What is the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundant mindset? And second, how do we grow our abundant mindset? So when it comes to abundance and scarcity, I, I think that you can frame it how you need to frame it in your head. Um, it can be monetarily. It can be um, time-wise. It can be just the way you think, um, in my opinion. And what I saw early on, what I experienced was my parents were always working because they had that scarcity thought that um, we're new business owners. We need to minimize overhead and expenses. We can't afford to pay a, a salary to someone. Let's just figure out how we can work 12-hour shifts. 
within the business. So that was one thing of not being able to delegate, not thinking abundantly, not teaming, right? So that was one thing early on that I saw. And as a kid, those things resonate with you because they're making sacrifices. They were important sacrifices, but in the moment, what they were saying no to were certain school activities or certain vacations or certain parties and such. So those things really resonated at a young age and showed me that, man, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur one day, yes, I want to grow a, a phenomenal business that allows us to do the things we want to do, but I also want to have structure in there to allow myself to still live my life. And I think that sometimes we neglect the flexibility that business offers us um, because we get caught up in the now and in, in, in doing what feels like um, is urgent and is, is super important um, and is a priority. But um, as far as abundance go, I mean, it takes a lot of work. Like I said earlier, like, I'm not perfect. I'm human too. So a lot of times uh, scarcity thoughts and scarce actions come up because we have fear as well. Um, and for me, um, having faith, trusting the process, having a game plan, believing in, in what you're doing allows you to be more abundant, just makes it easier to be abundant. Um, having good mentors that have been where you're trying to go helps with being abundant as well. Because like I said, fear is what drives scarcity, in my opinion. So because I surrounded myself with people that have accomplished what I'm trying to accomplish, that have been where I'm trying to go, that I respect, that have similar philosophies, that have similar values, it made it a lot easier to have faith and it made it a lot easier to be abundant and it made it a lot easier to stick to the process and the game plan, not only when things were going well, but also when things weren't going well. And it's often easier to stick to a game plan when things are going well and you're seeing traction and you're getting results. The key is sticking to the game plan when things don't go well. And I'm hearing you say having mentors and individuals who think big in your network helped you navigate some of those difficult times. Yeah. And something around this thought is I have a, a, a deep love for people. I just love being around people. I get a lot of energy from people. So I was always worried about people liking me. And I had to learn that as a leader, as a, as an entrepreneur, as someone that has to oftentimes make tough decisions and choices, I need to instead worry about being respected and not liked. And that is something also that I feel like allowed me to be more abundant, to say no to the things that weren't priorities and weren't urgent or weren't important as well. Let's talk a little bit more about belief. I'm going to guess there have been some challenges you have faced as you've grown your own business and specifically as you um, sought to achieve a goal that you've never achieved before. How did belief help you become one of the top 2% of financial advisors in your company? <laughs> I think belief had a lot to do with it, but belief is only so much, right? It can only give you so much energy. Um, but I think tying your belief in what you're doing um, to your why was very helpful for me because at times there's not many things that can re-energize you when there's just compounded thing after thing after thing going wrong and going against you. Um, so I think the only thing that will give you energy in that moment is revisiting, well, why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, 
But outside of that, I, for me, the belief that what I was doing was important was powerful, but also um, the belief that we're all human and that at times we need to slow down and unplug and recharge was also helpful because there would be times where I was just running so hard and I would get so drained. But um, what I was doing was so important that I was kind of at a crossroads where my body was telling me, look, I know this is important to you, but you can't keep pushing on. Um, and I think it's important that we listen to our body, take care of our own personal health um, and mental health. And we take time out to unplug and recharge and get away and just kind of reset. Um, because then when you come back, you're going to be a lot more dangerous. You've had time to recharge and um, you're back on track for, for what your goal was. But then something that we mentioned earlier, um, when these challenges and such come up, great people set themselves apart um, from the rest of the pack when they're able to stick to, to a plan when things aren't going well. Because in the work that I do, I've learned a lot about emotions and, and how people make decisions off of emotions. And if you don't have a plan, if you haven't sat down and had strategic think time to to think about where you want to go and, and what those steps are to get you there. When something doesn't go your way, it's really easy to emotionally make the wrong decision that is going to, at the end of the day, maybe set you back three steps. What keeps you connected to your plan during those difficult times? I would say the biggest thing that keeps me connected to my plan is one, having things set up strategically to recharge and re-energize, but then also having thought out before I set out on journey to hit a big goal, knowing what are the instantaneous things that you can do if everything goes not your way, what are the instantaneous small things that you can do that re-energize you? Um, so for me, it was having a very small group of friends that I can call at a moment's notice that'll drop everything they're doing and will come spend some time with me because they know that's what gives me energy and gets me away from all the problems I'm having in the world. Um, for other people, it might be something simple as going fishing or going on a car drive. But then when it came to revisiting the why, I think that was easier because I shared my why and my vision with people around me that cared about me. Um, and then also they knew what my goals were as well. Um, so I think it's important to share your why, your vision, and your goals with people because when you're losing energy, those people that you have in your inner circle should care enough about you to help get you right back on the path. It's motivating to revisit these impactful conversations. You just heard from three different business owners who all talked about fear and the importance of mindset when it comes to growing their businesses. I find these types of discussions so helpful on my entrepreneurial journey. It makes me feel less alone to know other entrepreneurs struggle with some of the same mindset challenges and encouraged that you can intentionally do the mindset work to minimize these challenges. If you want more than the episode highlights, listen to episodes 43, 48, and 50. You can also check out the show notes to learn more about each guest. Thank you for celebrating with me today. As we get ready for Elite Achievement's third year, 
We are taking a break from releasing new episodes and we'll be back this fall. I've been doing my own reflecting and planning work and am excited to share some new ideas and updates for this podcast. If you want to make sure you are in the know when new Elite Achievement episodes air, join my email list by grabbing a copy of my breakout plan or personalize your prospecting process worksheet from the show notes. With that goal achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting your lessons learned, and identify your priorities for next week so you can achieve your most meaningful goals. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are feeling inspired and want to join the Goal Achievers community, visit my website, kristenberg.com to sign up and get connected. We can also hang out socially on Instagram. Follow me at Meet Kristenberg. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this show. Until next time, goal achievers, keep progressing toward your goals and celebrate those weekly wins.